It's not that people want to be accepted. They're accepted, right? I am accepted on this planet. I don't need your acceptance. Yeah. But I do need you to embrace me, mm. right? We need people to be embraced when they're in the boardroom, when they are in a virtual setting and they have a perspective, but people are talking so much, they haven't been able to raise their hand. They haven't been able to come off of mute. They haven't been able to come off of camera and to share their voice. And um, you have a mix of folks who are introverted and extroverted and ambivert. So it's like a mix of just many, many people that are in this world. And so the idea is that we don't need acceptance. We need people to be embraced. Welcome to another episode of Ad Blocking with Jason Duane Smith. The world around us is, well, different. We're living in a time to test all of our boundaries and beliefs. It's not always easy. And sometimes, talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do. Ad Blocking is a podcast, a safe space where real people, real marketers, talk about everything but advertising. Stories of growing up, coming out, falling down, and looking in. Underneath it all, we're all just humans. In today's episode, I speak with doctor and author Veronica Appleton, current vice president of diversity and inclusion at the marketing arm. One of the best gifts I received in the year 2020 was an hour with Veronica, learning about her many guideposts towards a more inclusive, embracing, and relationally intelligent world. What makes Veronica so good at what she does and who she is, is her compassion and vulnerability. Understanding that there's always more to learn and more love to give. Veronica's perspective serves as a North Star of positivity, wisdom, and courage that I hope inspires us all. And with that, let's dive in. You know, I don't do any, well, we're going to do an introduction of Veronica from the marketing. Right, right? no. Look, <laughs> We, we ain't talking about work unless we feel like it. This is just, you know, just kind of a, a normal chat. So, um, no, so like maybe, that. maybe what we'll start with is if you don't mind, uh, a little bit of, uh, which I'm sure you will hate, but a little bit of Jason's praise of Veronica Appleton. Um, <laughs> I remember meeting you. Um, I'll never forget actually. It was uh, on a diversity council meeting with Chicago Ad Federation. It was a call, actually. And Lizette Williams, anyone that listens to this, if you don't know Lizette, you must be in another planet. Um, she made a comment about some work that we were doing. I can't remember exactly what it was. And you chimed in. And your response was very collaborative, which at the time, I can't say I was thinking this way. 
and you asked everyone for their feedback. You asked everyone what their perspective was and offered up some ways that we could all sort of come together to create an interesting solution. And I referenced that experience because with the many engagements we've had since, I can't remember one where you haven't exuded this magical way of collaboration with people. And I always walk away inspired. And when I thought about this podcast, I go, who do I want to talk to? Well, actually, who do I who do I not want to talk to? I don't want to talk to people that will make this all about themselves and they don't see the importance of other people and our impact on those around us. And conversely, I wanted to talk to people that I think live and breathe by this idea of collaboration, empathy, uh, and also really having care for others. And Veronica, I think you have always brought that into any room, any experience, any environment that you have been within. And I'm just so thankful to know you. So, so thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Of course, Jason, it's always good to get to talk to you and spend time with you. And, and thank you for those words too. I, I do appreciate it. And I got to be honest with you, the exercise of being collaborative, I've had to force myself to do it very early on because I, I grew up as the only child. So being collaborative is like not a natural thing, as they say, quote unquote, for, you know, only child in the world. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I come from a big family and um, collaborating with people is just kind of the way to go. You know, I mean, you, you need to hear other people's voices and perspective um, because there's there's tremendous power in just listening to people. You'd be surprised at how much you can learn if you just don't say anything. So oftentimes I, I, I don't have much to say and it's only because in the next room, hopefully I can offer up, you know, something more. Um, so yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, and I always appreciated your leadership too. I think um, you creating a space for this is important, right? I mean, you, you, the goal that you set out was, I just want to have a couple conversations with people. And I think that that takes leadership to do it. You're creating time, you're creating effort, you're reaching out to people. That's collaboration at its finest too. So um, I'm, I, I commend you for that. And, and also many other people that you've come in contact with, right? Because they've offered up their time and their effort and their support for you too. So I, I think that that's huge and um, we can only grow from that, you know? It's very true, very true. Well. I usually start with a very common question, but I'm going to make one tweak to it because I would actually like to start with your reference to being the only child and a bit of your upbringing and sort of the early days of Veronica. And to give you a little perspective on that question, I like to understand as you were growing up and being a young person, what were some of your earlier experiences that contributed to this sort of collaborative, sort of caring approach that you bring into your relationships? I'd love to know a bit more about some of those early foundational experiences that have created the person that you are today. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I like that. Um, so a couple people, I think they know that my mother, you know, I was raised by a single mom. And so she had 
13 other siblings, mm. right? So it's like 14 of them total. And so at a time in our family house, it would be maybe nine to 10 people. It'd be like a mix of cousins and aunts and uncles um, and my mother and I. And I mean, that's collaboration at its finest too. I mean, living in a household with all those people, um, you just learn to share, you learn to care. <laughs> um, <laughs> you learn to, to you know, um, just share, like literally share, um, share food, share uh, your bed from time to time, share your time. Um, and my mom, you know, one of her siblings, uh, she had a, and she has um, a, a disability. So she does have cerebral palsy. And so all throughout high school and, you know, some years of grade school, when I was old enough, I would take turns taking care of my aunt too. So feeding her in the morning, giving her medication. So the, the, the aspect of care, it was developed at a really early age. I mean, I remember going to school and having to wake up at four in the morning when I was in fourth grade hmm. and I would have to get myself dressed because my mom, she'd be off to work. I would be responsible for getting my younger cousin up. She'd always say, I need five more minutes, five more minutes. I'm like, look, you're going to miss this bus. So <laughs> either you get up now or you won't be able to make it to school. And um, I remember all of those days. And, and that was at the age of nine. And so now, you know, fast forward all of these years into the future, I feel like, you know, that level of independence, but still being collaborative, it was, those were traits that I had no, no say so in the development. It just naturally happened, um, which I, I appreciate too, you know, there's something quite masterful about having to go through some very, uh, rough, but also um, very like hardworking times when you're earlier in your development, because um, then it it cements into you into the future. So then, you know, if you're someone that is kind of late in your development, not speaking like a psychologist whatsoever, but if you're late in your development, hmm. you're late in the mature, in the, 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 the way you mature your relationships, you're late in the way that you mature your work relationship, like anything like that. So developing it at an early age, it gives you the stability and the, 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 the clearer journey to building stronger relationships into the future and um, knowing what you want, simply just knowing what you want. I think that's like a huge piece, right? So um, you can't take lightly the skills that you develop when you're younger, because then when you get older, you know what you need, what you don't need, you know how to get what you need, you know how to kind of create your own journey from there. So I think developing those skills early on, it kind of helps you, but then in some ways it can kind of hinder you too, right? Because then it can make you feel like, well, dad, I didn't really have a childhood. Like I didn't really, I didn't really do as much as I wanted to because I had responsibility. And um, I think that many people, right, they, 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 curate their own path, of course, but um, I, I would say it was favorable on my end because then at least I'm able to kind of put the pieces together and make sense of my own, you know? I think you hit on two things that really struck a bell with me. One is knowing what you want, actually, and learning that 
during your formidable years. And then while you didn't use this word, I think you would probably head not here, this early recognition of sacrifice mm-hmm. and starting to understand the value of decision-making and the outcome of that decision on your life, but also the lives of people around you. Definitely. And I love hearing about the depth of your family relationships, as well as what I will assume is a very close and probably very deep relationship with your mom. And I can remember the best part about these conversations is there's stuff that I haven't thought about for years that come to memory when I hear people like you talk. And I can remember being a kid in my home and um, I live with my mom and my dad and my mom was very big on good grades, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Veronica, when you talked about waking up at 4 a.m., you know, now I know that we both live in Chicago. Did you grow up in Chicago? I did, yeah. I grew up on the south side of the city. Okay, where did you grow up on the south side? So it's a it was a street called Winston. So I grew mm. up on 101st and Winston, which was like a block uh, east of Beverly, the oh, small yeah. little neighborhood on the south side. Oh my gosh, look at that! So I grew up on 73rd and Western. However, our relationship is my cousin lived on 96th and Hamilton in Beverly. Oh, yeah. So I used to ride my bike over through the forest preserve that was on Western. And then we go right into Beverly and we lived uh-huh. over there. And that was kind of like my second home. But when and so us growing up on the South Side, I remember, you know, I would walk to school with my sisters and I'd come home sometimes and maybe I wasn't that engaged in school. And my mom really made me understand the value of like committing time and energy to schoolwork, even though many of the kids around me, they were having fun. They were doing a lot of different things, you know, playing different sports. Like, you know, I played sports when I was older, but I didn't start playing sports until I was really in high school, you know, and you'd wake up some days, Veronica, and I look at my mom and go, oh, my gosh, will she just get off my back? get off my back but it kind of really started to craft this commitment to personal excellence my mom got it in my head early that achieving great school success wasn't about impressing her as much as it was about feeling good about myself and what that feeling could do to help me achieve the goals that i wanted And also she would always say this, when you do good work and you feel good about the work that you do, other people will want to do good work with you. (laughs) It was like such a powerful thing. Huge. Huge. Right. And I always looked to her as someone that was a big inspiration to me as a young person. So I wanted to ask you the same, whether it be your mom or anyone else that you can think back on that helped you sort of think about your early values that you now communicate and translate into your world today, who were, or what were some of those earlier influences on your life? Oh yeah. There, there's two people. Um, of course it's my mom, right? Like she was, um, 
And I, I sometimes I ask her questions of, you know, how, how did I learn when I was younger? Because I want to know, like, what was childhood like? Um, and she would always say, you know, Ronnie, that's what she calls me. She's like, Ronnie, I didn't have to, I didn't have to pressure you to do anything when it mm. came to school mm. or when it came to like doing something like you just naturally did it. Um, and so I appreciate her for saying that. And my mom, she was hands on in terms of um, discipline. Right. So I wasn't the type of kid that would always get like, you know, discipline very often. But her philosophy on discipline is what led me to, to doing the things that I wanted to do, to getting the good grades. Right. What you hinted to uh, my mom, she wasn't the person that would show up for every school assembly. But I knew that if I had a report card and it didn't look the way that I thought that she would think that it, it needs to look, that was <laughs> that was the philosophy like processing through my mind. So um, I knew that I couldn't even, I of course I could bring a C home, but that wouldn't make my mom proud. Sure, I could bring a B home, but I don't, it would make her proud, of course, but, but she'd say, well, next time get an A. Mm. And so she would be a little softer about it, but the softness was sometimes what also scared me too. I'm like, Ooh, Uh-oh. this is it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think that that was always good. And, um, she, she was a hard worker. And, and so now, you know, she, um, she, uh, you know, kind of retired early. And so, you know, that's kind of like the, she's living in paradise, if you will. Um, and she gets to shop for like no reason whatsoever. <laughs> But uh, the second person that I could think about was my um, uh, aunt that I had, which was my mom's sister. And her name was um, Love Wanda. And Mm. so that was literally her name. And um, we would call her Wanda for short. And so she passed away when I was in my uh, second year in undergrad. And um, I would go to her for all types of questions. Questions about um, boys, about school, about... um, how I should wear my hair, how I should dress, like all of those questions. And she was so, um, you know how someone, like when you meet them, it's just like so riveting. Like you can tell that they are like no nonsense, but mm. they're so soft in the inside. That was literally her. And I feel like I could pull everything out of her at such an early age. And She'd have her coffee, she'd have her cigarette, and we would have all the conversations in the world. She would always watch her soap operas. I would watch them with her. And I felt like the relationship that we had, it was just so rich and I learned so much from her. And she was kind of like a a grandmother, if you will, because I didn't grow up with grandparents. All my Mm. grandparents, they had passed away. So I really relied on my aunts, uncles to kind of provide that source. So. Although I mentioned uh, my aunt Wanda, I mean, I can count, you know, from my my father's sisters and uh, my mom's sisters and her brothers, they impact impacted me so much. I mean, I can't even just pick just one person each and every time because they they take form in so many different ways. But I mentioned Wanda because she was more like a grandmother. So you can kind of like just separate it just a little bit. Um, Cause I didn't have it and she, she provided it, which was, which was really nice. And I'll just add like a small caveat that 
Um, oftentimes, even today, many of my friends, they come to me, ask me questions, and they need advice. And most of the time, I, I just go back to some of the things that I would talk about with my Aunt Wanda, because mm. I felt like my development in understanding life situations, they were spoken through by a 50-plus-year-old woman. So mm. then now, being the age I am today, I carry a lot of that. And so many of my friends, they come to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got a solution for you. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's nice that that's the exchange that I have because wisdom from much older, more um, seasoned people, you know, you can really learn a lot and there's an appreciation, you know, there's an appreciation for those voices and, and you need it, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I would say those two people plus a plethora of so many other family members that kind of cemented that that uh, development. Well, that's a good segue into a little bit about my interest in this audio experience Mm -hmm. is if I look to love Wanda, what a wonderful name and representative of, I'm sure the energy she brought into her relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other side of it is as young people, and even as a as we become adults, um, I'll speak on behalf of myself. I have been a victim of really coming to rely on single or small set of inspiration sources, whether it be, you know, my mom or a coach that, you know, I'm close with or a number of mentors. And when you lose those relationships, there is a gap in guidance that I think we all need. I don't, maybe my take is I, I don't see myself ever getting to this epitome of knowledge. I'm always learning more, always, not. you know, and I'm always going to be in moments of doubt where do I have the right answer? I, I don't know. So it's a question for you, especially maybe even during 2020 where we're not around people like we usually are. You don't have these sort of serendipitous moments of inspiration to go, ah, great advice, great perspective. Maybe I'll add that to my toolkit. And so with folks like Love Wanda going into a new world and you now having to find inspiration to keep you learning, to keep your values growing, to find new paths of responses to the advice questions you get from people, where are you finding inspiration these days and where do you go and how do you sort of give yourself balance for the advice, the coaching, the inspiration that you need as a person that's still developing? That is such a good question. And um, I'm, I'm one of the, very much like you, Jason, you never really get to a place where you've learned so much and then you just say, oh, oh, I can stop now. Um, I don't think you'll ever get to that place. I mean, you could even ask somebody that's 100 years old and they'd say, I'm still going. I still want to learn. I'm still trying to go to Scottsdale. I don't know. It could be like something super random, but they still have a yearning to like learn and to experience something. The same goes for me. And um, my inspiration, I mean, it comes from 
a variety of sources. It can come from books. It can come from my faith. It can come from even my, my family members today, right? Because I think that in this virtual form, we've been, um, you know, uh, kind of pushed in a direction of creativity and innovation in a different way. And I think that many people have responded quite well to it, right? You could look at some of the award shows that we see on TV where they've been able to optimize this virtual environment and really make it welcoming. In terms of the creativity, I speak to my mom quite often, many of my aunts. I definitely feel like I speak to them a lot more. Uh, my friends, I talk to them a lot more too, which is interesting because, you know, for a long time, I felt like I was the friend where some would reach out to me when they have like a, an issue, there's something mm -hmm. to talk through. But now mm -hmm. I feel like it's very communal, which is really nice. So then it's it's more about the collaboration that we spoke to earlier, where we're bouncing ideas off of each other, we're planning vision board parties. And it's just like, just random things that I would probably do, I probably have done in the past, but didn't quite see the value of it. And so now I feel like I'm really learning in a very different way um, and, you know, kind of absorbing everything that comes my way, which I think is really nice. Um, so a lot of that coaching and wisdom, it can come from someone that is my age, right? In kind of early thirties, but it can also come from someone who's maybe 15 years old, that's a younger cousin and they have ideas and, you know, we're in like, you know, um, rap battles and like just random stuff. And then I can also talk to a couple older relatives that still give the wisdom and the, the guidance that I'm still looking for, you know, cause a lot of times it's in us to think through things, but oftentimes we don't really pull it out or, you know, maybe we don't feel like it's the right cadence or the right context. And so we keep it inside. And so, um, I think I've been able to to have safe outlets lately. And I was sharing with someone uh, yesterday. I said, I've met hundreds of people this year, just in a virtual space. It's out of control. I've been able to meet so many people. Um, and I don't know what that is, but it's, it's, I welcome it. I love it. And it's because people are yearning for engagement. They just want to talk. And I, I was sharing with, with that person yesterday that if you create a safe space for somebody to speak, they will spill themselves to you because they trust you. They know that they could communicate with you. They know that it's a safe environment. Um, and you don't even have to say that this conversation is confidential. They know just by your, your verbal and nonverbal behavior that this is a trusted space. This is one path with us, that's how it can go. So I think a lot of people have been able to tap into that and I have as well. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to connect with people. And so I get it from many, many different places and um, I've em embraced TV a lot too. So, mm. you know, just a range of things from reality TV to documentaries to movies and all of those things that are really helpful. That's what's most important, you know, that we're, we can we can learn with each other, but then we can grow at the same time. And it can mean a variety of different things when we think about that. And, and this year is one where 
I have to agree with you. I'm discovering a part of me that I didn't know existed. And I think that part of me is extreme empathy. And I will, I'm using my words very carefully because I'm applying the word extreme, maybe because in my journey in 2020, I have, you know, I, I have either gotten my hand slapped for it or I've been applauded for it, which tells me I'm either onto something good or something bad. But I've looked at a lot of the divisiveness in the world, whether it be politically or culturally or socially. And Veronica, you know, maybe it's because I'm a father of two young children. Maybe it's because I'm a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I just keep thinking of every person of possibly having that dynamic. And I start with that fundamental baseline. You know, this person is a father. This person is a mother. What choices are they making to protect that aspect of their life? I may not agree with those choices, but how does that guide their way of being and interaction with people? And maybe there's a way to find a common thread there. I don't know. You know, so I've, I've you know, I've, I've been on a bit of a journey to, I guess, try to cross the line, so to speak, you know, and actually engaging with people, Veronica, in my world that don't share the same views that I do at all, really. Maybe we have completely competing views on matters that are important to me. But I've come to realize for myself this year that I don't think I can personally find a solution or a way towards harmony without understanding what motivates and inspires people that may not be of the same mindset that I am, you know, and looking at that as an evil opposition, I don't see the end game in that either. So that's just been something that I've discovered about myself this year and I've really taken it head on. And I have to say it's, it's made me much more curious. And Veronica, I think it's made me happier. It's made me happier because I can at least go to bed. Another thing that my mom used to tell me was there's no end. Um, there's no end in hate. There is, you know, there is no end, you know. And so it's a question for you about 2020. If you were to reflect on this year, what do you think you've learned about yourself going through and experiencing a lot of the things that we've experienced as a country and as humanity? What have you, what do you think you learned about yourself? Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And um, thank you for, for sharing that perspective too, right? Because as a husband, as a father, someone who works, right? And the way that work has kind of blended into your household too, right? I mean, all of those are just interesting dynamics. Um, of course, right? I'm you know, a professional woman. I'm a single woman. I'm not married. I don't have children. So in many cases, I, I put myself first just by default. Um, but then I also have other beings in my life that I do care for in terms of family. So I still feel like there's a piece of me that if I was hearing you correctly too, right? It's, it's a lot of putting self 
first, but but putting others first too. Um, and oftentimes I feel like, you know, that's, if you're kind of an empathetic person or someone that is caring, you oftentimes put others before yourself. Um, and what I've learned about myself in 2020 is that I've, I've done that so much that I've had to do some searching for myself. Hmm. Um, and that's been just kind of an interesting experience too of blending my needs and wants, right? We talked about that, of, of kind of my needs and wants. Uh, what do I need at that very moment? Because not all self-care looks like taking a bath. Um, it really does look like unplugging from everything and silencing yourself. Oftentimes we don't know how to silence our minds, our thoughts. That, that, like that process in and of itself has been a struggle. Silencing my thoughts because it's like a, it's like a, um, it's like an engine, right? It keeps going, and you try to oil it off frequently. And so, if you're constantly oiling something or watering something, it's going to keep going and it's going to keep growing. So I've had to like get rid of the water and the oil. <laughs> mm, um, I love that. I love that. And like the way that I've been able to do that is like literally saying. I'm not going to do anything today. I'm going to watch some like trash TV, nothing to even think about. And then I'm going to turn it off for a couple hours and just not think about anything else. Not watch anything, not consume anything, even leave food alone too. Right. So like anything that you can, like leave, leave it all alone, sit there and not do anything. And I feel like that has been a really great exercise um, and has been super helpful. But for like folks that are listening and they want kind of a way to build like better relationships with people, maybe people in their household, maybe people virtually at work or something like that. There's this book by um, uh, Darius Daniels and he's the writer of relational intelligence. Mm. And, you know, oftentimes many people always speak about um, emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, um, uh, you know, all the, the intelligences out there. But relational intelligence is all about kind of like the well being of like strengthening your relationships, putting people first, yes, but also making sure that you level the playing field and put yourself first too. And, um, just building deeper relationships with people. Um, so I encourage people to, to read that because we need to become more intelligent about keeping people in our lives. And the way that you do that is that you give it the oil and the water that it needs in order for people to stay, for people to grow with you. And it could be a friend. It could be your wife. It could be your children that they always know at any given moment you create a safe space, a trusted space where they can come to you, have a conversation with you and feel like this is the person I can constantly talk to. I have a thought in mind, I can come to them. I have a concern, I can come to them. I have a question, I can come to them. Those are the things that, that we can strive for and that I'm striving for um, all throughout this year and that I'll continue doing because it's, it's a great exercise. 
to self-reflect and to see where you fail, right? Like where I fail as a human is not being as open as I probably need to be. Mm-hmm. Being a human is, um, you know, finding your areas of opportunity. I don't like to call them flaws because I don't think anyone's really flawed. I just think they they have areas of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those are, are, are things that you can kind of lead with, but also um, kind of embrace, especially as we move into a new year. Relational, relational intelligence. What, mm-hmm. what a great word. What a great perspective, you know? And it strikes a chord with me because I talk to my kids, my oldest son, he, who you can hear in the background, uh, he is an aspiring scientist, right? Oh, and one of the things that we've talked a lot about is uh, a topic that is near and dear to me, but I have failed to live up to its, you know, it's, it's the care that I have for the topic, which is our care for our environment. And we, I talked to him about the ecosystem and how, you know, for many people that know me, I'm very open and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm avid outdoors person, you know, hunter, a fisherman, all that stuff. And when I talk to my children about, you know, if I go on a hunting trip, I explain to them the relationship of how our nature works. You know, if you take one thing out of nature, it's going to have an impact on something else in nature. And that will have an impact. You know, it it goes down the line. You know, nothing operates in isolation. We all are kind of working together. Every decision we make, it does have this sort of chemical impact on other elements of our world, you'd agree? And um, that concept of relational intelligence, I've never heard that before, but I'm so happy you said that because I think if more people got that in their head, that I am just a part of the whole equation. I'm just a part of it. I may be a very important part. I may not think that I'm a very important, but everyone is a critical part of that equation and how we interact and the decisions that we make, Veronica, it actually has this sort of symbiotic impact on everything that's going on around us. And for you, one of the things that you have really managed extremely well in your professional world has been taking that relational intelligence and applying it to I would dare to say maybe you might be one of the OGs of this, the concept of diversity and inclusion and equity in both our personal spaces and also in our workspaces. And so I wanted to maybe ask what got you into that sort of world? You know, how do you, and and, and I want to add a perspective on it because I think this is not going to be a podcast that about what you talk about every day, which is, you know, <laughs> diversity and inclusion. But I will say for me, being a black man, you know, I live it every day, good, bad, and in between. And I often think, how would I translate that into a professional and formal environment? And how do I manage the weight of that? 
And I just wanted to understand what inspired you to take that path since you've been so inspiring in that path. What was what encouraged you to take that route with your professional life and your personal life and how you sort of brought that into the world? Yeah, well, you know, Jason, um, what I love is that there's so many, so many professionals that have come before me in this line of work. And I have, you know, professional friends who have been doing equity work for over 30 years, like some of the first at their organizations. And it's very interesting how I'm also the first within my organization. And that's what 30 years later. So it, it obviously shows that there is, um, there's problems, but there's also many solutions. And the way in which an organization um, takes on that problem and applies a solution is kind of the heart at how they see people, how they see humans, um, and also how they see the, the impact that relational intelligence can really have on the workplace, right? If you become more intelligent about the people that you work with, right? The, the cultures, yes, kind of face value and what we call in research more surface level, we always really want to just get to the deep level, the values, the customs, the behaviors, the attitudes. That's what you really need in order to create a thriving team, a thriving department. Because um, at the end of the day, it's not that people want to be accepted. They're accepted, right? I am accepted on this planet. I don't need your acceptance. Yeah. But I do need you to embrace me, mm. right? We need people to be embraced when they're in the boardroom when they are in a virtual setting and they have a perspective, but people are talking so much, they haven't been able to raise their hand. They haven't been able to come off of mute. They haven't been able to come off of camera and to share their voice. And um, you have a mix of folks who are introverted and extroverted and ambivert. So it's like a mix of just many, many people that are in this world. And so the idea is that we don't need acceptance. We need people to be embraced. And so the way that I've embraced this line of work is just by connecting with people. I love talking to people. I really do. And I also love solving problems. Um, and as I, you know, talk to people more often than not, I always say that diversity is um, kind of similar to medicine, right? Like, you know, if you, if, if, if you think about the human body and say you may have like a cold or something, you know that you can take some kind of medicine in order to feel well. You can take a cough syrup, you can take um, a pill of some, some form. So maybe there's like two to three different ways that you can take something, or you could take a natural remedy. You can take tea, you can um, eat some soup, you know? So there's maybe like four to five different things that you can do in order to cure the human body of a cold. The same goes for the diversity approach for an organization. You know, that that diversity the medicine that's needed, maybe there's more attention to recruiting. So, you know, you need to focus on that. Maybe there's more attention to the partners and the vendors that you work with. Maybe you need to work on that. Um, maybe there's retention, right? Like we need to keep our people. What types of career development programs do we need to develop? Um, there could also be some form of belonging, right? People don't feel like they are included. Maybe they don't feel like they can raise their voices or their hands. That's another form of medicine. So when you think about the common flu or cold, and there's maybe four to five different remedies, 
The same goes for diversity. Diversity can have four to five different remedies of curing whatever is going on in, or, or in, an, in an organization. And um, they're able to feel as if they can embrace one of those remedies in order to solve the issues that they've identified. Some organizations, they need two to three remedies. Maybe they just need one. So it just depends. And I think with that analogy, it's, it simplifies what has been so complicated, right? Um, and I think that there's many, there's many cases where you can, you can find a, a remedy that's able to embrace the voices that need to be involved, but also to get the folks that haven't traditionally been involved to get them excited. Uh, so I look at diversity like medicine and you know, sometimes that medicine needs two years, sometimes it needs 10 years. Mm. It just depends. So when you look at the tenure of some folks that are in this line of work, then you may say, oh, well, they only spent two years at that company. What did they do? They gave the right amount of medicine mm. to that organization. And so sometimes the years that you put into something doesn't equate to the quality. Right. But what it does, it, it creates it, it. It equates to the impact that you were able to give at that moment. So the remedy, it could be six months or the remedy could be six years. So I think it just depends. But mm. but that's what I love. I love the 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 remedy journey of just identifying the issues, you know, kind of some some solutions and then also some some folks that can raise their hands and say, hey, I want to help. Because believe it or not, many people want to help. Mm -hmm. And whether they look like me or you, they want to help. And I think that that's the most important part. Um, collaboration at its finest and inclusion at its finest is what we should be and seek for. Um, and of course, there's many things that can kind of deviate that discussion, right? Because we can look at pop culture we can look at the, the many things that are facing the Black community even, right? The Latino community, and even earlier this year, right? The Asian community, and also our Indigenous peoples. There are so many things that are issues that we are still facing every day. But I think at the very, very granular level, if we were to embrace people, put forth relational intelligence, then we can get on that journey to where we need to go. And um, it looks like a variety of different things and, and the remedies that can come and play in the workplace. But when I step outside, right, I am a black man, as you would say, right? I am a black man, I am a black woman. Who am I to the world? Am I a threat? Do I have a target on my forehead where I may be SVP at a company, but when I step outside, all that goes out the door. The inclusion goes out the door. The belonging goes out the door. And that's the problem that we have. You can fix internal all you want, but many times external is the forces that we don't have control over. And that's why we still have generations of people working in this line of work. <laughs> And um, 
I think those are probably the areas where people struggle the most. Because even if you're not in this line of work and you're just a human that happens to have a, a tint on your skin, it's like, well, who am I to this world? Who am I? So I think that that's a journey that we're still going to be on. And um, I'm always optimistic about a lot of things, but we, we need real solutions and the solutions must be where we're in a space where we can work with those in the powers that be to create a system of safety, create a system of protection, create a system of like knowing that I do have a place in this world. Um, and many times that philosophy isn't communicated or it's not embraced. And I think that that's where we, where we go. I love the, I love the semantic delineation of acceptance and being embraced. I don't think many people make that differentiation because they are critically and semantically very different. And it's funny, I was watching, you know, when you, well, one thing is, and well, for me being a dad, having kids, sometimes I watch these old holiday films and it reminds me of how backwards the world was at some point. And I was, well, at some point, well, well, maybe, who knows? Maybe still. Point, yeah, maybe. <laughs> So I was watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with my kids and something as small as just, you know, a reindeer with a red nose. And the entire film was about this reluctance to accept one difference, one difference. And it's interesting to see children interpret that at a young age of, you know, what does difference mean? Does If I'm just slightly different, will that mean that? And, you know, I had that question come from my four-year-old. He is a little mind was, he was sad. <laughs> and I know that it, it's a little humorous, but it's also sobering. He was like, does that mean that Rudolph, he won't have any friends, you know, mm. because he has a red nose. And so this whole idea of embracing each other is eons, eons worth of challenges, you know, and we don't, we won't solve it all. In a year, I love how you said the 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 sort of antidote may, you know, the 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 medicine fits the illness, and it may take more time. So, a question I have for you: It is not specifically directed towards diversity, but if that's part of the response, that's great. But as you look at beyond this year, because I also see 2020 as a great opportunity to embrace new ways of thinking new opportunities. And if you haven't thought about this, I'm sorry, but if you have, what are some of the things you think we as a world should embrace as stable, positive, new ways of working? I'll give you one example to maybe even jog your thinking on it. One for me has been, I have been confronted with the reality of how important childcare is. And I think it's something we completely devalued before this, you know, now you've got people that have white collar jobs and they could have afforded to just send their kids away to daycare all day and they never thought about it. And now that option isn't there. Oh, now I really appreciate those people. 
So that's one example of something that I really imagine the world embracing more is care for, respect for, and also financial accountability for that space and what it brings to everyone else's ability to achieve professional success. So that doesn't have to be your journey. But as you think about us moving ahead, Veronica, and your thoughtfulness, what are some of the things you think we as a, a world should, to use your words, embrace more? Yeah, that's a really great question. And um, what you spoke to, Jason, and, and we can continue with this theme is like the essentials in life. What are the essentials? We know that, you know, someone caring for our children, that is an essential piece of the puzzle. Um, our educators, they are essential pieces of that puzzle. Getting children back into school, so on and so forth, when it's safe, and may I put that in bold letters virtually, when it's safe um, to send children back to school so then they can learn in the environment that they are supposed to be in. Because keep in mind, right, for many children, school is a solace for them, right? They can eat when they go to school. They can have shelter when they go to school. So who knows the environments that those children that were in the most need in those schools, what they're going through right now and what they have been going through this entire year. And it oftentimes I, I sit in that too, because I say to myself, OMG, what are we doing about these kids? And that's like a real thought that I have um, because I, I, even though I don't have children, I really care about kids. I mean, I write children books, I write comic books. That's just like the fun, not necessarily pastime, but like that's like a fun passion of mine of connecting with, with children and their parents. And um, it does, it, it breaks my heart to know that, you know, many children don't have that solace. And then also, right, we've had this digital divide recreated um, again, right? We were close, like we closed it. And, um, right, many children, if they do receive laptops, they may be broken. If they, um, you know, have internet access, it's like, you know, doesn't work. <laughs> and I speak to nonprofits, you know, some of the, the uh, boards that I serve on outside of work. And many of these nonprofits where they serve these communities, they are in most need. So when we talk about what to embrace in 2021, we really need to embrace humans because I think that, um, you know, I, I think that many people, because they've yearned it for quite a few months, they've yearned in-person interaction. And I think that that was something that we really took for granted. Not that we purposefully took it for granted. It was just the way of life. Yeah, I'm going to work. Yeah, I'm going to go to the store. The store. Sure, I'm going to go to the gas station. I don't have to worry about wearing gloves or a mask. It was just our way of life. And so now that we've been stripped of it, and now that we can kind of, you know, I pray, you know, with the help of so many, you know, first responders and healthcare professionals getting the vaccine into our communities and um, really thriving throughout the entire country and entire world, we can get back to, you know, being in person and having interaction because we do need to embrace each other. We need that. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many virtual hugs I've given because it's like insane. But um, uh, when we think about embracing in 2021, it's, 
it's embracing humans mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. most need and many of their wants. Not all of their wants, but many of their wants. Um, and I think that that is going to get us to, to where we need to be. Well, my last question for you, and thank you for giving me so much time, Veronica. I always ask all yes. of my friends that give me a lot of time out of their day is to maybe close our conversation with a personal mantra or words that you live by that you think are representative of your spirit and values. If you wouldn't mind sharing those words, I would really appreciate it. Of course, of course. You know, there is a quote that I always say, and I never, never miss an opportunity to say, beautiful words of Maya Angelou, um, Dr. Maya Angelou, may I say, um, and I put emphasis on the doctor for many, many reasons. Um, she uh, was just a prolific writer, just a beautiful human who I, I wish, wish I had a chance to meet when she was here. But her quote um, was, you alone are enough. And I think that it's so beautiful, right? Like, We've been talking a lot about self-reflexivity. We've been talking a lot about self-care, all of that good stuff. But you alone are enough. If we lead with that, we should be fine. We should be fine. And um, I have my moments where I'm not so secure. You know, I think we all do. But um, every time I think about Maya Angelou and I think about her journey and I think about Um, who she was as a person and how I've kind of learned through the TV screen and through her work. Um, She was enough. She was more than enough. And so I think that if we think about that, you alone are enough. We can go really, really far. We can go really far.